The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of First United Methodist Church in Beaumont, Texas. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to love your city with the heart of Christ. So as I was saying a moment ago, we all wait very differently, and it is so fun to notice that. It's something I, I've been noticing lately. And I'll give you the perfect place where you can go to practice this. So here you go. Go to the happening restaurant in town on a Friday night. Like the one people actually go to eat at. Not the ones on the restaurant reports. Like the one that's good, it's happening, and, and everybody wants to go there. And you enter into the little lobby where the hostess is, and there's like an international, universal question that everybody asks when they first walk into the restaurant and step up to the podium where the hostess is. You know what it is, right? How long is the wait? So what you have to do is be close enough to see people's faces because this is where it gets really fun. Because everybody has a different tolerance or threshold or something when it, when it comes to waiting. So first off, what you're going to see on people's faces is not shock. It's the realization that they now have to do math. When the, when the hostess says, oh, it's, it's 45 minutes, and you see a, a, like a, a, a face, like a utter grief, and they bring out their phone, and they say, oh, it's 11.19, and that's not a perfectly round number. I have to add 45 minutes to that. That's what's going on. At least that's what's going on in my, my head when that happens. And then after that is where you see the decision of whether or not this is worth it. So you, 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 you kind of get a sense for people's taste in that moment as well. Because certain, certain restaurants... Certain foods are worth the 45 minutes. Others are like, uh-uh, no, 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 not for this. No, we're going to like the fast food restaurant across the street. We'll try again another time. So we are very different in our tolerance of waiting. But that's when we know how long we're going to be waiting for. I mean, most of us would give anything to know how long we're going to be waiting for the things that really matter. Think about it. As Christians, we're waiting for the return of Jesus. How long are we waiting for that? We don't know. In our personal lives, we're waiting for different things. Some of us are waiting for healing of some sort, physical healing, emotional healing. Others are waiting for clarity on a decision. How long are you going to be waiting for that? We don't know. And I bet it would be much easier and we would be much happier people all around if there was a way that we could trade anything, even, even something valuable, just to know what the wait time is. Because there is no kind of waiting like not knowing how long you're going to be waiting for kind of waiting. 
if you know what I mean. So, if it seems that the important things in life, the important things in our faith, the important things that really matter to us are the ones that typically are without an answer to that question. How long? Then how might we do that well? How might we do that well? And how might we start to approach the wait time as God would lead us to? So I want to look at two examples from Scripture, two people. One is the man that we just read from, the, po- the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. And I want to say, as a way to, to set this exploration up, part of my spiritual practice lately has been to read a book called 40 Days with the Holy Spirit. It's by a professor in Old Testament named Jack Levinson. And this book was a gift from Pastor John and just sat on my shelf the way good books tend to do sometimes when you have two kids and you're like, I'll read that at some point in life. But I I felt compelled to start reading it. And one of the things that it's been training me to do is to notice when Scripture describes a person as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I propose to you as an exercise, anytime you're reading Scripture, when you see that, when you see a person described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, take a pause and ask the question, what's happening here? What is this person going to do? And how does he or she do it? And so Micah, And a few chapters before the one that we just read from, chapter 3, he is accusing the prophets in God's kingdom of simply saying what the rulers want to hear. He basically has a beef for them. They're just saying positive things so they could get paid. I don't think that kind of thing exists today, right? I mean, that's just old-time stuff. But he, he's got a problem with that. And so as he calls that out, he then describes himself, and this is what we have in Micah chapter 3, verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. That is his bio on his Facebook page. That is Micah for us. This is the same man that just spoke the words of hope that we read just a moment ago. The man that knew that his kingdom was going to get destroyed The man that knew that the sins of the people were very grave. I mean, there was everything from idol worshiping to making treaties with people not of the people of God. All sorts of things that were against 
the covenant that God made with his people. Micah knew this. And yet, he has words of hope to offer as well. If you pay attention to the language that he uses in chapter 5, when he mentions Bethlehem, and he says, from Bethlehem one will arise, from little old Bethlehem, a shepherd will come forward to lead his flock, and they will be secure, and this one will be our peace. This is Micah, reaching far back into history, to a place they all knew that God already provided. I mean, Bethlehem wasn't exactly the place where kings were supposed to come from, if you know what I mean. I mean, some of you live or come from small towns that when you say to a person, what that town is, you always get the look. The look that demands an explanation. Where the heck is that? And then you have to describe, oh, it's, it's here, and you have to give an explanation, and some sort of history. I get that same look when I tell people my name when I'm ordering coffee, so it's all right. What is that? What's a Silverio? Bethlehem was not the place kings were supposed to come from. But isn't it like our God to do things differently than we would do them? God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. And God's ways are not like our ways. And so Micah says, from Bethlehem a king will arise and there's going to be peace. He is going to be our peace. He is going to be our security. Now a bit of history. Micah's work came before the fall of the northern kingdom. That's around the, the year 722 BCE, before the common era. That's a way to go before Jesus shows up to the scene. Am I right? But that's the way faith works. You reach back to something you know God has already done, and you spring forward to the future the way you spring yourself on monkey bars. And you hold on, and whatever you do, you don't let go. You don't let go. But how is Micah able to do this all his life? He lived his entire life. He breathed his last breath with this hope, and he never saw it. He never saw the shepherd come. I believe it's because he busied himself on the way he described himself in chapter 3. He busied himself with justice and about, being, and about being about the things that are bring healing 
that correct the wrongs. You know people like that in our midst. I mean, just the other day, I sat in a meeting here in this church, in our library, and heard one of our brothers talk about a project to build beds for kids that are sleeping on the floor. By the way, this is locally. And he's all excited about it, and he's probably going to ask you to chip in, and I, I, and I bet if you got the time, you should chip in. We busy ourselves with the things of justice. On Wednesday or Thursday, another one of our brothers walked into our offices. He's been caring for his wife for, for quite some time, so we haven't seen him and worship regularly. And he's praying, as we all are, for his wife's healing. And he's, nobody's waiting for that more than he is. But he shows up every week to do a task in the church that he's done for a long time. And he does it with joy. He does it with a smile on his face. And if that weren't enough, he looked Pastor John straight in the eye and said, I'm praying for you, Pastor. We get busy. We work for God. We do the kinds of things God would do in our midst. The second man I want to point to is in Luke 2. He did get to see the shepherd, but it was the baby shepherd. His name was Simeon. And Scripture describes him this way. He was a man of righteousness, and he was devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Simeon was at the end of his life, and he asked God that he, that he let him live long enough to see the shepherd, to see the one that had been waiting for, to see the one that Micah spoke about long ago, the one that would come from little old Bethlehem to lead in the way of a shepherd to bring security, to bring peace to all people. And when, when his eyes finally met the face of baby Jesus, this is what he did. He looked up and he praised God and he said, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people, Israel. What else do we need in order to wait well? Well, 
I think Simeon proves to us that we need God's revelation. I believe Simeon was able to wait his entire life just for a glimpse. Not even for the completion of the promise, just for a small glimpse of the promise being fulfilled because he had the revelation of God's promise in his heart. Holy waiting requires holy revelation. And holy revelation demands more prayer, not less. How do we wait? How do we wait close to the shepherd? We do the kinds of things that the shepherd would do, and we pray, and we stay grounded in the revelation of God's promise in our lives. So here's my question to you this morning. What has God promised? Because I can tell you one thing. We live in a world that is more anxious than ever. We live in a world that doesn't know what to do with itself. In a time of waiting, we live in a world desperate for men and women like Micah and like Simeon and like so many others in Scripture that held on from hope to hope, from glory to glory, that learn to hear the voice of the shepherd and to stay as close as possible. To follow the shepherd to trust the shepherd, to no longer be afraid. And for us, we get to say, the shepherd has already come. And he's here to stay. His name is Emmanuel. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.lovebeaumont.com.